be here this morning with you. Your rep, am I on okay? Good. Your reputation is widespread for a small congregation. I know two pastors who have worshipped here within the last year. One of them is the man who succeeded me in Massachusetts, and they both uh, said basically the same thing. It is a vibrant, healthy congregation. So that's your reputation, and that's a good one. And uh, you are blessed to have Blake as your pastor. I've been getting to know him over the last couple of years. He's in a pastor's group that I have been leading, coaching him and a couple of other pastors who will in turn be coaching other pastors in this area, uh, pastors especially who are in small churches that are, that, that are in decline or have been in decline and are seeking to become vibrant and healthy. And so uh, I, I've so uh, loved getting to know Blake. He's got such a heart, not only for you, but also for other pastors in the area. And, uh, you know, that's unusual. Often pastors are just kind of into their own little world and their own little congregation, and there really is not that, what I call, um, an, an apostolic ministry, something that goes beyond their own uh, interests. So it's, uh, it's been great uh, getting to know him. Um, He's blessed to have you. He brags about you. He's told me a lot about you. So I hope he tells you, how, and I'm sure he does, how much uh, he loves you. So, um, yeah, why is it so hard to love? That's, uh, that's the question. And we're going to uh, look at a passage in Luke that I will read. <clears throat> and it's an incident that takes place in Jesus' life, very brief incident during his earthly ministry. We'll look at that incident, and then we'll look at a story that Jesus tells, a very, very brief parable that Jesus tells in response to that incident. Then Jesus will ask a question in this passage, and a Pharisee will give the answer. And it's essentially the question, why is it so hard to love? And we'll see that answer. Um, It is hard to love. It's hard to love our spouses. It's hard to love our children sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to love our parents. Hard to love the people we work with, sometimes our neighbors, uh, sometimes the strangers that we meet. It's hard to love ourselves. And so we're going to look at this passage, and I think there's uh, some surprising and uh, helpful truths that our Lord speaks in this passage. But before we get started, let me pray for you and let me pray for me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength in our Redeemer. Amen. Let me just get my slide sheet organized here. So I don't mess up Matthew. I'm going to move the Bible. I have my own Bible here. I'll put it right there for now. Last week I was preaching kind of on short notice for a friend whose dad was very sick and they had set a water glass right there. And before I get up, I said, I got to move that water glass. I forgot to move it. First second I hit it. It was a Baptist church who went all over the people in the front row. Very appropriate. So, all right, let me go. Here we go. Nope. Other way. 
Oh, where am I pointing? Up here or here? There we go. All right. I'm going to read the scripture. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. I think I'll actually just take this and, and kind of go uh, uh, verse by verse a little bit. Let me just point out a couple of things about this first part. This was early in Jesus' ministry. The we, reason we know that is Jesus was still popular with the Pharisees. Eventually, he would become very unpopular with the Pharisees. But now they're still curious about him, and one of them invites him to dinner. And I'm sure Blake has told you about the Pharisees. They often get the bad rap. They're often the, the bad actors in these stories. But Pharisees actually, they were lay people. They weren't clergy. And they, they were all about seeing Israel come back to God and come back to the law uh, to, to get healthy again. You might say the Pharisees' motto would be make Israel great again. They were all concerned for that. And so um, he invites, he's curious about Jesus. He invites him to have dinner with him. And a surprising thing happens in that um, gathering. In the, and this is the incident. A woman crashes the party. That would have been very, very inappropriate. It was just men at that party. Women would not, would not have been appropriate for, for women unrelated to these men to be present there. And so this woman crashes it. Not only is, is it a woman, but she is known as a woman of the, the night, you might say. And that's her reputation in that town. And it's a very chaotic scene. It's one of those incidents that happens... To us, sometimes you're at a, a nice party or a nice dinner, maybe Thanksgiving, and says something. Maybe they've had a little too much to drink. I don't know. But someone says something that is really awkward or really inappropriate. Maybe that person has been you on occasion. It certainly has been me, unfortunately, on occasion. And no one knows what to say. Do you know the kind of situation I'm talking about? It's really embarrassing and no one says everything. Everybody just sort of waits, freezes. It's what I call one of those lint-picking moments where you can't make eye contact, so you just look down and you're picking lint off your pants or your shirt or whatever. That's what happens here. This nice party, this nice dinner going on, respectable people, Jesus is there in this woman of the streets crashes the party and begins weeping to the point where she's weeping so much over Jesus' feet, which would have been the most humble thing for her to do. They were all reclining. They didn't sit at a table. They reclined, and there was a low table or maybe something like a futon in front of them, and the food would be on that. And so she approaches, and she's weeping and wetting his feet to the point where she has to wipe them with her hair touching Jesus and kissing his feet. And then she begins to anoint it with this very expensive uh, jar of ointment. And everyone is just watching, anxious and nervous, waiting to see what's going to happen. 
And Simon, the Pharisee who invited him, begins to judge Jesus and begins to judge this woman. First of all, he judges her and says, uh, uh, we know who this woman is. And he puts her down below him, below his kind. And, and then he, he judges Jesus. He says, if Jesus were a real prophet, he would know who this woman is. And he would never allow her to be touching him and kissing his feet. Uh, and so he must not be a prophet. You see, the prophet, Simon was half right. The prophets in the Old Testament, they, and John the Baptist was the last of them, they could identify sin. They, they knew what sin looked like. They, they called out the people, the nation of Israel, time and time again for their sin. But Simon only was half right. They also declared the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And, uh, and, and so Simon only had it half right here. And Simon is thinking, and we do the same thing. He's saying this woman is not one of us. She's not like us. And, and he's judging her in his heart, and he's categorized her. And we do the same thing. I know we don't mean to. And I, I know you don't, because Blake's told me what wonderful people you are. Oh, we're not there yet, darling. My wife is cueing me on the, uh, thank you, sweetheart. We'll get there. Um, and, and we do the same thing. We judge people, and we don't mean to, but maybe we, we, we size someone up and we say, well, you know, they're not from the same part of town that we are. I'm sure no one does that on this island, right? Or maybe they're not from our background or um, they're not, they're not a, a, a good Christian and, and, or they don't, they don't have the training or the teaching or the resources. They, they don't have money. And, and we judge people. We categorize people. And we decide who is sort of in our group and who isn't. And we do it... Um, Almost unconsciously, unwittingly, we do it. We do it instantly. We just see people and we compare ourselves to them. You know, maybe we say, "Well, I may be old, but I'm not as old as that person." It makes us feel a little better. Or we say, "I may have white hair, but at least I have hair." But you know, I I I don't have white hair. I it's actually blonde. It's it's what's known as an Arctic blonde. It happens when you live in Maine for a while. You adapt. We have so much snow. You know, it's a genetic thing. I could explain it, but it would take too much time. So I'm an Arctic blonde, but at least I have hair. Or I may be a little heavy, but I'm not as heavy as that person. Or I may not be a good Christian, but I'm a better Christian than that person. We do this. We automatically do this. We make judgments. We size people up based on what they're like, where they come from, who they are, and uh, what they do. And, uh, and that's what Simon's doing. He's judging this woman. And so that's the incident. Jesus wraps up the incident by saying, he reads Simon's mind. He sees what Simon's doing. And he, and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, when Jesus says, Jack, I have something to tell you, usually it's not something I want to hear. It's something I need to hear, but it's like the doctor. This is going to hurt a little bit. You don't want to hear that. And so uh, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Um, and then Jesus tells a story.
That's the incident. And now the story that follows the incident. And it's such a little story, but it is absolutely profound. And I'm going to read uh, just two verses of it. There's a third verse here. We'll get to that in a moment. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So that's the story, and that's the question. We're going to hold that question just for a moment, and we'll look at Simon's answer. But here's the story. A denarii was a day's wage. So 50 days' wages, that's roughly two months' worth of of, uh, earnings. How much do you make a month, or or what is your monthly income? You know what that is. So double that. That's a pretty good amount of money, I imagine. Uh, One of these debtors owed the creditor that amount of money, two months' worth of wages. The other one owed him 500 denarii. That's about two years' worth of income. What is your annual income? Double that. That's probably a fairly substantial amount of money, regardless of what you make. That's what the other one owed him. Two different debts but the result was the same. Neither of the, the men could pay the creditor back. So the, the result was the same. In that sense, it didn't matter how much you owed. If you can't pay it back, you can't pay it back. And in the ancient world, to be in debt was a very, very serious thing. You would certainly lose your property, for starters. You might go to prison. You might have to sell your children into slavery. You might have to sell yourself into slavery until the debt was paid off. It was a very, very serious thing to be in debt in that ancient world. It's, in, it's a serious thing to be in debt in, in our world. You can lose your property. You certainly can lose your credit. You may lose your marriage over it, possibly your, your, your children um, because of conflict that would come in, in the marriage. And so to be in debt is a serious thing. Simon thought there was a difference between the woman and himself. No doubt he said, oh, I may have sins, but my sins are small and, and they don't affect other people. They're within, they're hidden. Whereas her sins are gross, they're great, they're obvious, and they have hurt people and hurt her and affected the whole town. And so he's making this distinction, do you see, between himself and this woman. And as I said, we do the same thing. We may say, well, I'm a sinner, but I don't have that person's sins. And we somehow manage to make ourselves feel a little bit better. But here's the problem. Here's the point. Regardless of what the sins were, neither of them could pay them back. So the result was the same. Um, And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Simon, you are just the same as this woman. Oh, in the kingdom of the world and the standards of the world. Yes, I just had to buy these glasses last night at the Rite Aid in Bar Harbor. I left mine at home. So if I keep taking them off, that's because I can see what I'm looking at. But I can't see you. You become a blur. So I apologize for that. Um, 
Simon, you think there's a difference. You really think you are better than this woman. But both of you are debtors. Both of you are sinners. And neither of you can atone for your own sin. Um, and so the, the, the things you're thinking about her are totally meaningless. They're totally irrelevant. The comparisons you're making have no reality to them. It's sort of like this. Imagine you're flying uh, over to, uh, to England. I guess one of your families is flying over there. Don't tell them I said this if they're not here. Imagine you're flying across the Atlantic and all of a sudden the plane is in trouble and it has to ditch in the icy North Atlantic. Do not tell them this. Um, and, and there you are. Every, all of a sudden everybody has to get off the plane and you're clutching your little life jacket and you're bobbing in the icy North Atlantic. And you notice someone bobbing not too far away who was also, they were on the plane, and you kind of bob over to them, and and you say to them, I recognize you. You were in coach, weren't you? Uh, I was in first class. I got an upgrade. And that statement has no relevance. You are both in total crisis. It is hopeless for both of you. So to make that kind of comparison is irrelevant. Or to say, you know... um, I saw what you were eating in coach. Boy, we had a meal in first class. The wine was incredible. I know I've flown coach all, all, a lot. We really were dining. That has no meaning. The comparisons at that point are totally meaningless. And that's what Jesus is saying to Simon. The comparisons that we make, they, have, they may have relevance in this world. You know, Jesus said, if you hate your brother, it's like you kill him. Well, in this world, it's better if you just hate him and don't kill him. But in the kingdom of God, in the eternal realm, because we're, we're hopelessly lost apart from God, apart from Christ. There's no difference. That's what Jesus is saying here. Um, and Jesus is giving Simon the bad news that he's no different than this woman. Because you have to hear the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. You have to hear that you're lost before the notion of a savior makes any sense. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Christian martyr and theologian in Germany, during Nazi Germany, who said, you have to hear the next to the last word before you can hear the last word. The last word is the gospel of Christ that we're saved by his rich mercy and grace. But you have to hear the next to the last word first, that you're bobbing in the icy North Atlantic, and all the human comparisons are irrelevant. So we hear the bad news. Simon gets the bad news. But now he gets the good news, because the rest of this little story is that there's a lender, a creditor who is so rich that he can forgive big debts and he can forgive little debts. They're all the same. doesn't matter to him. And not only is he that rich, but he's kind. He's compassionate because he wants to forgive all of these debts. So Simon hears the bad news and then he hears the good news. And, and so that's the story. We have the incident and then we have the story that is told in relationship to the incident. And it's a story about us. 
We're in there. Every human being is in this little story. Everyone is either Simon or the woman, either aware of their need for God or oblivious to it. But every human being is there in that little story. You and me. It's about our debts in a rich God who can and will forgive. Okay, that's the story. Now the question. Um, now in verse 43, oops, now I've got to go back one. Let's go back, I'll go back. Oops, I went forward. Technology. <laughs> Let's see, here we go. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, you have judged correctly, said Simon. Uh, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do, trying to multitask up here. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What a beautiful incident this is. This poor woman. So aware of her, her needs, so aware of her failings, so aware of her sin. And just in this chaotic, raw emotion, pouring herself out. And Jesus pronouncing forgiveness for her. And the last couple of verses, which I didn't include, says, he, he sends her and says, your faith has, has healed you, has made you, has made you whole and saved you. It's a beautiful story. and It's our story. So the incident, the story, and the question. And here's really rephrased. Why is it so hard for us to love? It's because we don't fully appreciate and understand how much we have been loved. Let me, let me um, put it this way. Love flows to others in direct proportion to how much we are aware of the love we have received. Love flows from us to others in direct proportion to how much we are aware of the love that we have received. Jesus wants Simon to understand. He wants all of us to understand. And he wants us to calculate, to figure, to ponder and calculate how much love has come into our lives? How much goodness, how much mercy, how much grace, how much forgiveness has come to us? And he wants us to calculate that and understand it. And then out of that understanding, let our love, love flow to other people. Here's why it's hard for us to love. When you feel rich, you act generously. When you feel poor, you act poorly. Think about it. When we get down on ourselves, and we all do, 
we get down on ourselves, we don't feel loved, we don't feel lovable, we feel maybe we feel old, we don't feel useful, we don't feel attractive, we don't feel worthy, we feel sinful. We get down on ourselves and then it is so hard to love other people because we say, I need love. I don't have enough love myself. How can I love someone else? And we turn inward and we're focused on ourselves. When we feel poor, we act poorly. When we feel rich, we act generously. It's, a, a, I think, a profound truth. Simon, in his own way, felt poor. He didn't understand his need for the rich grace of God and the forgiveness. And so he could not love. When we feel poor, we're going to act that way. Uh, You see it all the time. When we're not sure of the supply of something to us, we hoard. And when when we're not sure there's enough love for us, when I don't love myself enough, then I hoard what little love I have and I don't share it. I don't give it. Think about it. Every time there's a snowstorm, everybody rushes to Hannaford, right? Because they might run out of bread and milk. And I have to get there and get my share. Has Hannaford ever run out of bread and milk? Or what if it's such a storm we're snowbound? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been... It would be a wonderful thing to be snowbound. And so what if I can't get my supply? I have to get there. And the place is crowded and people are buying the bread and the milk in the parking lot and all that. Because we're afraid there's not going to be enough. Right? And so what little we have, we hoard. Um, My wife puts up hummingbird feeders. And I I was sitting out yesterday watching them. And uh, it's amazing. You know, they come all the way from Central America and they arrive right around Mother's Day down where we are near Augusta. And uh, they'll look in the window right where we hang the hummingbird feeder as if to say, you know, you haven't put, you haven't put the food out yet. Come on. And, and so she hung the, the feeders out yesterday and I was watching. And invariably there's one, they, they come and it's just one after another uh, tanking up after that long journey on pure sugar water. Sounds, sounds pretty good, right? Just pure sugar. And there's always one that's like a bully. He sits, he's big. He's bigger than the others. Have you ever noticed that? You know, he's about half the size of a robin. And he, he will swoop down. Someone will come. He's not even feeding. But he will swoop down and chase the other ones away. Why? Because he's afraid there's not going to be enough to go around. And I talk to him. I say, listen. It's, it's just sugar and water. My wife mixes it up in the kitchen. And we have a five-pound bag of sugar. We've got plenty of it. We're not going to run out. And if we do run out, we'll go to Hannaford, where they have you know, shelves and shelves of sugar. And we have our own well. We have, a lo- we have a lot of water. So let the others relax a little bit. I talk to him. He doesn't listen. God talks to us. He says, there is no end to my grace, in my love, in my provision, in my help for you. I'll take care of you. So relax. 
Be generous. Share a little bit. About a year ago, we uh, got a text from uh, one of our daughters about our grand, uh, who, our grandson, who then was four, um, Henry, about a little incident that happened. And I just want to read it to you. It, uh, it really struck me. She texted, she said, We were home yesterday afternoon and playing with the neighbors. And Henry kept getting upset with Ethan, that's his little next-door neighbor, over toys. And then when, when Tessa, that's his, Henry's sister, when Tessa started riding his big wheel, he burst into tears. I asked him why he was having such a hard time sharing. He said through sobs, because I'm worried, worried, I'm worried no one is going to share with me. Hmm. Pretty self-aware. That's our problem. Uh, If I encourage you, what if you don't encourage me? If I help you, what if you don't help me? If I'm generous to you, what if no one's generous back to me? I'm not sure of the the supply. I'm, I'm worried that, you, that it won't come back to me and I won't have enough because I think the supply is limited. But what if I realize the supply is not limited? Let me tell you a story and we'll uh, wrap up with this. Um, Blake, I'm sure, has discovered in, the, in pastoral ministry that you, uh, you get to go to a lot of banquets. In fact, we had dinner last night at the um, chart room, great dinner, and there was a wedding taking place right there. A couple in their family had come up from West Virginia to uh, have, a, have their wedding in, in uh, Bar Harbor, right on the beach. Isn't that a, my wife said, uh, where's the beach in West Virginia? No, she didn't say that. <laughs> There is, she said, there is no beach in West Virginia, right? They love it up here. They vacation up here. And, and so we get to be, they even offered us cake. We get to be a little part of, right in the middle of this little ceremony. Blake has discovered it, or will discover it, he has it already, that you get to go to lots of banquets when you're in the pastoral ministry. You get to go to wedding bank, you know, wedding receptions. You get to sometimes go to retirement parties or graduation parties because you get to share in all of these great life events that, that you know, your congregation is in. And so I developed some rules for going to these things that I tell pastors about, helpful rules, and they might be helpful to you because if you're going to go to a lot of these, you have to learn how to survive them. The first thing you do is you tell your kids, if your kids are with you and this is a wedding reception, kids, uh, this is supper. We're not stopping at McDonald's on the way home, so you eat. This is it. So you make sure they're clear on that. Then the, uh, the, the next rule is try to get to the banquet early. You don't have to be the first one there, but get there early enough. And look, usually their buffets, check out the buffet table. Because you, it's very important that you see where things are. Because there's a very limited supply of the good stuff. And so you want to make sure you know where that is, okay? And then the next thing is get in line. Don't be the first one in line because you don't want to look gauche. But don't be the last one in line either, because the good stuff might not be left. So you get in line, 
And, and the plates are always small, so they get that working against you. So you, you do what I call the take one, eat one method. You go through the line, you take a shrimp, because the shrimp are always in short supply. If there are oysters there, oh, wow, you're, it's a great wedding. We went to a wedding a couple of years ago, a lobster tail in an ice sculpture. If there's an ice sculpture, that is a sign. There's some good stuff. Pay attention. Okay? <laughs> and so you're, you're making your way. You take a shrimp. You put it on your plate. And then you look this way and that way. And you don't want to be obvious because you're the pastor. And you take a shrimp and you eat it. Or you take an oyster, and then you have to hide the shell, you know, somewhere, so hide that away. You get to the end of the line, and you have as much as everyone else. But you've already eaten as much as everyone This is how you have to survive these things. You've you got to play it smart. And then uh, um, you, you've, you've really got to... Uh, um, uh, just bypass the broccoli. You know, don't go, don't go to the, don't go to the salad bar. You know, that's going to be there. There's plenty of that. That is going to be there at the end. The cheese board, forget about that. There'll be plenty of that. Go to the good stuff. You have to get to the good stuff before the greedy people do. Okay? Very important that you understand this. That's, so Blake needs to know this if he doesn't already. That's how you survive this. But let's change the story a little bit. What if, the host and hostess come up to me and say, uh, Pastor Jack, we're so glad you are here. Uh, you, you just bless this wedding so much. And, and we love you. We're thankful. And just to show you how grateful we are, we know how much you love shrimp. And so we've, we've told the, the caterer to put aside a whole box of shrimp for you. You can get it when you leave. And we know how much you love creme brulee, and that's the dessert today. So uh, don't worry about getting it now. We've got a whole supply of creme brulee for you to take home. What happens? I relax. I open up. I say, hey, try the shrimp. They're great. Go, th- th- there's, there's a raw bar there. I'm going to go try the broccoli. Everything changes because I'm not worried about the supply. God is so rich. Here's what you can do. It's what I want you to do this week. If you happen to be driving off the island in Scott River, just take a look at the river for a moment. God is so rich, he can let his... Water run all the time, and he's not worried about the water bill. Or if we have a nice clear night this week, go out and look at the stars and, and contemplate how rich God is. He can leave the lights on all night and not worry about the bill. I want you to think about your life and how God has provided for you through your whole life and brought you to this point. He's cared for you. He's loved you. He's, he's forgiven you. He's met your needs. And contemplate how rich you are in Christ. And then let some of that spill over. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive because God's forgiven you. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. You decide to forgive someone. Eventually the feeling catches up, perhaps. Maybe there's someone you need to encourage. Maybe someone right in your own home. Maybe someone you work with. Learn to encourage people every single day. Be a CEO, a chief encouragement officer, 
every day find something encouraging to, to say to someone. Uh, um, show your love. Find something loving to say to your spouse, to your kids. Something good every single day. Let something good be said from you. Learn to trust the supply of everything coming into your life. And out of that abundance, spill some of this love that he's given you over unto others. Um, He who has been forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Amen.